0: Our first reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 63, verses one through six. Who is this that comes from Edom, from Basra in garments stained crimson? Who is this so splendidly robed, marching in his great might? It is I announcing vindication, mighty to save. Why are your robes red and your garments like theirs who tread the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their juice spattered on my garments and stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year for my redeeming work had come. I looked, but there was no helper. I stared, but there was no one to sustain me. So my own arm brought me victory, and my wrath sustained me. I trampled down peoples in my anger. I crushed them in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Our second reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. Then I looked and there was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like the son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to the one who sat on the cloud. Use your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So the one who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Then another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has the authority over fire, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Use your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and gathered the vintage of the earth, and he threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress, as high as a horse's bridle, for a distance of about two hundred miles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Our passage from Revelation this morning starts off gently enough, especially for a Kansas girl like me. The idea of harvest is a pretty easy one to relate to. In agricultural communities, harvest is of the utmost importance, and Around here, we have harvest festivals, but they're usually only loosely connected with the idea of harvest. Now, I love a candied apple and a pumpkin patch as much as the next girl. But if you live in a community where the entire economy hinges on how well the wheat or the corn or the sugarcane does that year, harvest is more than just pumpkin festivals and fall colors. The wheat harvest was so important where I grew up that I got my driver's license at the age of 14. You see, a person has to have a driver's license to drive the family farm pickup and and other farm vehicles. And it's ridiculous to tell family farms that they can't put their teenagers behind the wheel of the pickup truck. Our school year also revolved around the harvest. While around here, we don't usually start the school year until around Labor Day and ended in mid-June, my school year was always from early to mid-August until mid-May because the wheat is harvested in June. And for a family farm, harvest means all hands on deck. If school was still in session when June rolled around, you can safely bet that many kids would just miss those first few weeks of school. It's kind of like how all of the school districts, it seems in Western Pennsylvania, give that Monday after Thanksgiving off, <laughs> that, that first day of deer hunting season, because if you don't give it off, there's just gonna be a bunch of kids that are absent that day. You adjust to accommodate the things that are important to the local way of life. Everything in a farming community revolves around the harvest. This would have been a familiar vision for the people John of Patmos was writing to. Growing is hard work. Harvesting is generally even harder, all-encompassing work. But the payoff is clear. So while the idea of an ultimate harvest with these undertones of judgment is a little unsettling, it's a vision with a clear message. This is for the benefit of the community. But then, then we have this crazy, scary wine press section. Suddenly, we're not in what feels like, to me in my Midwestern brain, a harvest of a field. Suddenly, we're harvesting grapes now and God is trampling them in a wine press. But this is not a happy grape trampling scene like the famous one in I Love Lucy. There is blood flowing out of this grape press. And not just a little. There is a river of blood deep enough to reach a horse's head and stretching for hundreds of miles. This is the wrath of God. This is terrifying. This is judgment. This is unsettling. This is still in the Bible, friends. Blood is our life source. We need it. It carries oxygen to important parts of our body, like our brains and our hearts. And without it, we die. So blood inside of us means life. Blood outside of us means death. So a river of blood, five or six feet deep and 200 miles long, is a massive amount of death. No wonder we are so disturbed by this picture. And if we think about it, deep down, we all know that humanity is screwed if we're held accountable for our actions. We have quite the track record of genocide, war, injustice, and just plain mean and horrible behavior. And I know for most of you hearing this sermon today, you personally have not participated in a massacre or a genocide. Many of you even have personal ethical guidelines for purchasing goods or food or services to avoid things like inhumanely processed meat or blood diamonds or things produced by sweatshops and child labor. And good, you should care about those things. But let me warn you of something. If you use your own goodness to ease your discomfort with this passage by saying that's just about the bad guys, not me, you will miss the enormously powerful message of hope in this particular passage. This is a passage where looking back at the Hebrew prophets is of the utmost importance. This is referring to Isaiah 63, which Alan also read this morning. We read the first six verses of that chapter this morning, but you could read a little more on your own time if you like. You see, in this, in this passage of Isaiah, we see a similar picture of judgment envisioned as a cosmic winepress, and in it, God's robes are spattered with the blood of the damned. That is properly unnerving. But if we connect this passage also to visions like Ezekiel's river of life flowing away from the city, to the gospels where we see Jesus murdered outside the city, we start to see the picture of Revelation 14 a little more clearly. While in Isaiah the presser's robes are splattered with the blood of the judged, in Revelation we are told Jesus robes are stained by his own blood. And the wine press in Revelation is located outside the city just like the cross. Are you starting to see the hope here? Jesus steps in with his own blood for us. Not just the bad guys, for all of us. Good, bad, meh, all of us. These vivid visuals that John of Patmos uses bring a couple of of modern examples to my mind. I've done a good deal of travel these past few years with the PCUSA Presbyterian Peacemaking Program. It's a program I highly recommend to any and all of you who are watching right now. Just before the pandemic, I was in Central America, in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, um, as well as as Mexico. And last spring, I was in Rwanda with a couple of elders from my congregations. Lately, when I read this passage and I think of a robe dipped in blood. I can't get out of my head. The image of the robes of Father Oscar Romero in El Salvador. Father Romero was an outspoken advocate for the poor in El Salvador. He was beloved by his parish members. Because of his message, he was not beloved so much by the government One Sunday morning in 1980, while he finished his sermon and prepared to serve communion, he was shot in the heart by a government assassin. And he died right there in the sanctuary in front of his congregation. When you go now to the museum at what was Romero's home, you can listen to the audio recording of that sermon, complete with gunfire and screaming. You can see his clerical robes stained with blood. As one who frequently wears clerical robes and is called to stand for the marginalized people God loves and for the peace of God's kingdom, I can promise you that that image of his clerical shirt and his robes stained in his own blood will never leave my mind. When I think about the river of blood, I think about descriptions I heard in Rwanda of what the rivers looked like when they were full of the blood of murdered Tutsi people in 1994. And that's a year of what is simply referred to in Rwanda as the genocide. See, when European colonizers first settled in Rwanda, they mistook the common socioeconomic descriptors as names of tribes and began to pit two groups of people, Hutu and Tutsi, against one another to help solidify their own power and control over the Rwandan people. A hundred years later, this resulted in a three month period in 1994, in which somewhere on the order of a million Tutsi people were slaughtered just because they were Tutsi. The blood of a million people flowed in the dirt and the rivers of Rwanda in 1994. When I read this passage from Revelation and those images and voices and stories come into my mind, I'm overwhelmed. Not by hopelessness though. I'm overwhelmed by this. Jesus died even for the man who shot Oscar Romero. Jesus even died for the political authorities who ordered that assassination. Jesus died for the Hutu men and women who got caught up in the frenzy in 1994 and took up arms against their neighbors. I met some of them, some of the people who'd been caught up in that frenzy and did unspeakable things. Today, many of them are reintegrating into their communities. They're seeking forgiveness from the family and friends of those they killed. They're going to church side by side with people who, by all the world's wisdom, should shun them and punish them and leave them for the judgment of God's mighty wine press. And yet, time and time again in Rwanda, we were reminded of the powerful message we see here in Revelation Jesus died to save us all. All means all. We like to see ourselves as the righteous and let the judgment happen only to others, but this passage says we have all earned it, no matter how good or bad we think we are. Flip back through Romans if you need another reminder of that. And so it's easier to read a passage like this and see ourselves as outside of God's judgment, waiting to watch the judgment of those who really deserve it. But with that lens, we miss the hope in this passage, which is missing the whole point. That's not to say that God doesn't care when someone does something bad. God saving even the bad people doesn't mean God doesn't care about judgment. It is clear in this passage that God cares about righteousness and judgment. But ultimately, Revelation 14 is about a river of life. It's a new and hopeful vision of Isaiah's winepress. And this is where we can come back to harvest. Harvest is about community. The powerful thing about the healing we saw in Rwanda was the way that people were returning to community. Community is arguably a more powerful thing there today than it's been since the European colonizers invaded in the mid to late 1800s. The the reason it's so hopeful and important to remember that the river of life flows for us all is because acting on that knowledge is what mends this broken world and brings about healing. The harvest, even the scary wine press part, is about the good of the community. When we stop seeing the world through the lens of righteous versus unrighteous and steep ourselves in the knowledge that Jesus died for everyone, even those who don't know it or refuse to live into it, Even the man who shot Oscar Romero and the neighbor who widowed a mother of four. We begin to see it through God's eyes. And we begin to see the beauty and the hope of salvation in Jesus. For sure, this picture of judgment is not a picture of the world's judgment. It doesn't mean that the righteous get to judge the unrighteous, or even that the righteous get to sit back and watch God judge the unrighteous. It means that the empires that assassinate priests will fall, but the people of the empire are still loved by God. It means that empires that pit neighbor against neighbor will fall, and that reconciliation is possible. It means that God's wrath against the evil of empire does not crush us all because God loves each person so much that we are offered the blood of life. The salvation in Christ. This harvest is for us all. Thanks be to God. Amen.